Well, greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to the third and final episode in our three-part series of interviews held at the Pre-Trib Study Group Conference in Dallas, Texas once a year. It's a wonderful gathering of teachers and preachers of Bible prophecy, all who are passionate about the Lord's soon return. In our first episode in this series, our guests filled us with wonder over the miraculous regathering of the Jewish people back to the Holy Land and the rebirth of the nation of Israel. In the second episode, we looked at the current rise of the Luciferian global government and thankfully, its future demise. Anticipation of the pre-tribulation rapture actually encourages Christians to defend their faith in such a time as this. Let's begin with the eminent archaeologist, Dr. Randall Price, who will answer this question. Can the ancient past provide present faith and future hope? Well, welcome once again to another Prophetic Perspective, another conversation with one of our dear friends, Randall Price. We're here at the Pre-Trib Conference in Dallas, Texas. And so, Randall, we're always glad to sit down with you. For those who don't know it, Randall has kind of a, a nom de guerre. He is known as the real-life Indiana Jones, which is to say he is an archaeologist who has been all over the Middle East, specifically Israel, to understand even buried in the ground, the truths that are revealed to us in Scripture. So, Randall, what are some of the truths that you could share with us today? Well, let me say, the Indiana Jones now fits. He's in his 70s <laughs> and making a new movie, and I'm in my 70s. Well, there so you go. Not, so. Yeah. All right. Um, <clears throat> truths buried in the ground, lots of things. I thank God that uh, providentially left many of these things to be found at a time when we have more skepticism, more need to connect the reality of our faith with, uh, you know, the evidences of the yes. past. And that's one of the things archaeology does. So uh, you don't have to do much except just get on one of the websites that keeps you updated on archaeological yeah. finds. And you'll see all the time there's new things coming up. And in fact, some of the more, uh, I, I guess, critical issues like, um, you know, could Moses write? Uh, here he is, you know, they say, oh, no, no, no one could read or write in those days. Well, now we're pushing back evidence to show there was writing and, and very clear writing, mm -hmm. even before the time of Moses, but in the time of Moses as well, uh, Hebrew that could communicate that message. And that's changing things for people and, uh, who are critical scholars who were thinking we have, to, we have to keep pushing the date of the Bible later in yes. time, not in the time in which it actually happened. And that's, that's changing. Uh, many other things in terms of uh, personalities, events uh, historically that said couldn't have happened. Now we know they actually did happen. We have evidence of the people and even left uh, things related to the events themselves. Well, talking about archaeology and proof, I mean, this is not something that was dug out of the ground, but I think God's sense of timing, He has not only a sense of humor, but a beautiful, miraculous sense of timing. The fact that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found on the cusp of Israel becoming a modern nation, uh, even of late, since we've started going to Israel, Nathan and I, accompanying Dr. David Reagan, uh, places like Magdala have been discovered and excavated, and you can now go and see wonderful sites that we didn't even know about a few years ago. Yeah, Magdala now has uh, another synagogue they just found. Really? And they think there's a third synagogue there mm -hmm. because it was a very large uh, yeah. community. And uh, what, what's nice is here you have a synagogue from the very time of Jesus, first century, preserved very well. You can see even some of the roads blocked off because of the Roman invasion they were expecting. And, mm -hmm. and, and all this comes to life. So the very facts of history are still left 
their imprint right they there. They certainly are. Well, yeah. biblical archaeology is just fascinates me because it proves that the Bible is the Word of God. For many years, many centuries, people say, okay, there was no, no Chorazim found or the Hittites, they didn't exist only in the Bible. What are some of the discoveries, exciting discoveries that you've been finding just in the last, say, 10 years well, that prove historical facts of well, the Bible? Let me just go back to the Dead Sea Scrolls because you okay. mentioned that because I've spent 30 years of my life involved with that. We oh, were a director of excavations for 10 years at the site where the Dead Sea Scroll community was and then the last... 10 years also working on uh, the caves of Qumran, finding new discoveries there. So here we had people who said, well, can we really trust the Bible? Because the Old Testament, which we have, was translated from Hebrew manuscripts that go back a thousand years. That's a long time, but there's still another thousand more years behind there. So in terms of transmitting the text, we know that ancient scribes that have to write these things didn't have glasses. A lot of them, you know, had very crude instruments. They're looking at old worn texts. How do we know they didn't make countless errors and mistakes so that we don't have now what they had then? And so it's just kind of whatever someone thought was true. You really don't have the Bible. You have somebody's idea of the Bible. Yeah, that was their criticism. That was their criticism. When the Dead Sea Scrolls are found, all of a sudden that missing length of time was gone. We have now the oldest copies of the Bible ever in existence, going back to 250 years or more before the birth of Jesus. And so you can see how the biblical text was there. And comparing those texts with the more modern texts from which our Bibles are translated, there's almost no difference. There are some very interesting differences, and those are the things that I like to think about because it, it helps us reveal some of the controversy between Judaism and Christianity over the identity of the Messiah. But, but otherwise, the text itself is very stable. And, very well, and there's good. another testimony to ancient text, and that is none other than Jesus Christ, who 2,000 years ago lived and would say over and over again to the scribes, the Pharisees, have you not read? And he would cite passages or, or ideas from the Old Testament and validate them over and over again, whether it is the seven-day creation, whether it is the establishment of marriage between a man and a woman. That's a, a controversy that seems to have been uh, uh, found of late in our own society, but Jesus Himself validated the Scriptures because He was the author of Scripture, He was the Creator, and of course throughout the New Testament over and over again there are passages cited from virtually every book to where we can trust that this is the true and living Word of God. Yeah, this may be the first time in history that we've had challenges to some of these very basic ideas that came from Scripture. We've had a Judeo-Christian culture, even before that there was the Jewish culture, but you look throughout the ancient Near East or all cultures, the basic questions of creation, of the identity of who is a man, who is a woman, was never in dispute. You know, wherever you go, this was the, the one constant that, you know, was uh, common to all cultures and civilizations. But now we see a change uh, in the West primarily, but it's been moving uh, around the globe as well. And that goes along with prophecy that tells us that in the last days certain things will happen. People will, will fall away from the faith. People will begin to believe things they shouldn't believe or, or has never been believed before. <clears throat> and I, I know in my experience I have taught at university level for you know decades now. And uh, the millennials, the group that I had a, a, a lot of times teaching and now the Generation Z as well, one of their big problems is uh, they're losing their faith in record numbers. I mean, they may be brought up in, in believing homes, they have been, been brought up on the Bible, homeschooled, whatever it may be. And, and they engage or encounter a problem. 
some problem, and their roots are not sunk very deep for some reason. It's never been a personal faith. And all of a sudden they just say, well, I can't trust a God like that. You know, God let me down. God failed me. And I, I see this all over the place. And uh, it comes from what the scripture said would happen, that people could not endure sound doctrine. They're not being taught doctrine at all uh, because people's feelings are out there and they're dealing with all these emotional problems. Pastors tend to engage the problems. But not the solution. The solution is a deeper understanding of Scripture, which if they understood, they would be able to trust God, you know, no matter what. It's, it's not about me, it's about God. You know, I serve Him, He doesn't serve me. And these are things that, but we see as we come closer to the time of His coming, people are moving closer to themselves and further from Him. Well, how do you, that's a great question. When dealing with the millennial generation that sees truth as subjective and their emotions are the reality, how as a professor do you teach them doctrine? You just have to hope they will, they will listen. I mean, we try to, you try to relate. And one of the things, that's where archaeology and things have been helpful for me, because they want to see the reality of it. Now, they want to see the reality of it in the world, that these things are historical and truly happen. They want to see the reality of it in someone's life. Yes. And so if you yourself, when you encounter these kind of problems, even greater than some of them experience, I mean, they, you know, experience not being able to get their favorite coffee or something, you know, but uh, when you have a, a, a really problematic uh, time in life and you handle it in faith, that you say, listen, you know, God is God. You know, Job says, though he slay me and I'll trust him. You know, I, I, God will always be God. He always is good and does what is right. It's my job to trust him and wait on him. And, and, and maybe I'll find out now and maybe I'll find out only someday in the future. I think that's a very important key thing. You, you talked about they have roots that are not very deep. And even as Jesus talked about the sowing of the seed, we want our, our children, our grandchildren to have roots that are sunk very deep. That requires that we are intent about uh, fertilizing, sometimes pruning, but, but building into their lives. And you said as they witness, sometimes the experiences of, of challenges I've had in my life are not happening right now, but they happened in the past. So I think it's incumbent upon us to say, let me tell you what I have lived through and experienced so that they can understand that, that there's nothing new under the sun in terms of the challenges, especially the spiritual uh, attacks that we come under. And it really uh, steals their minds and, and prepares their hearts for what lies ahead. Because if we do not do that, let's face it, you know, the old saying is God has no grandchildren. Each one of them has to put their faith in Jesus Christ, but they have to have roots that will, will weather the, the storms that are blowing uh, sunk deep into the rock that is our Lord. Yeah, I was thinking just of a passage while you're talking mm -hmm. in Titus chapter 2, it talks uh, here about Bible prophecy. It talks about the blessed hope. Right. It talks about His soon appearing. And many people say, listen, that's in the future, what does that have to do with me? It's not relevant. I'm saying in this text it very much is relevant because it ties these things together. It says that we are to live, and it tells us how we're to live, uh, uh, denying ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age. That's Titus chapter 2, verse 12. And then it says, looking for the blessed helper. In other words, how are you to live? You're to live looking. So it ties together our life and it's tied to this hope that we have. Then it moves on to say, and everyone you know, who has this, uh, he's been redeemed for the purpose of being a people zealous for doing what's right. Okay, we want to do what's right. How do we know what to do what's right? 
We have to come to the one who is right, and we have to have that hope in us. So as we generate in ourselves this desire and hope that we, about hoping for a better car, an electric car, you know, a better house, a better job, well, that's, those are good things, but are we hoping for the Savior who redeemed us to, yeah. to be in finally a relationship with the one whom we love? And if we do that, then we are anxious for him to come, just like we're anxious for someone we love to come home or to return from a trip or to get, you know, whatever. We have that same hope, and that changes our life. It makes, makes us live differently and live right. One of the new voices in Bible prophecy is the host of the Generation 2434 YouTube channel, Just Tyler. We tasked him to respond to one of the misconceptions concerning the doctrine of the rapture. Do you have partial rapture trauma? A recent story came out that there was a report done saying that people are getting post-rapture trauma. They learn about the rapture and it ruins their lives because they spend their whole life worrying about whether they're gonna be rapture or not or whether they'll be left behind. And it's called the partial rapture theory, this idea that only some people will be raptured up to heaven. So to find out if that is true biblical doctrine or not, we brought Tyler here from Generation 2434. He's one of the new faces to Bible prophecy, so new in fact that Tim and I really don't know you very well. So so could you tell us what Generation 2434, what does that even mean? And what is your ministry's outreach? And then we'll jump into answering that question. Sure. So Generation 2434 comes from Matthew 2434, where Jesus says, this generation shall not pass away until all these things be completed. And so um, about two years ago in, er, in uh, early 2020, um, I sat down and I felt like the Lord was calling me to get on YouTube, something I never thought I would do. And I was sitting there, I was saying, okay, well, I have to have a YouTube name what do i call this you know and so i just sat there and prayed and I, that's what i felt the lord put in my heart was that verse matthew 24 34 and so i named my channel generation 243 i'm glad that that's what it's hearkening to i'm glad we're not going to have to wait another 400 years <laughs> for multiple more generations and yet we always uh, talk about the fact that the the importance of passing this message that jesus is coming soon to the next generation is absolutely critical thankfully christians for the last 2000 years have looked forward to jesus return many of them very faithfully looking and expecting him at any moment and we do as well so Tyler we're glad he's raised you Me up too. to continue to share that message but when it comes to what Nathan talked about this partial rapture what is the the concern that some would have today even as they see the world growing darker around us well I think you know the 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 thought that the the rapture is coming soon um, well, maybe let's define the rapture first case sure. someone there and then let's say what's a partial yeah, rapture right so yeah. well I want to first say you know in Jesus own last words in the in we look at the book of Revelation he says behold I come quickly and so there are a lot of people out there who don't even want you to say Jesus is coming soon but I would look at scripture and say well Jesus said I come quickly yeah, I'm coming yeah, soon yeah. and so then people want to define soon and that's where things can get a little bit more fractured and murky but the rapture is very clearly defined in the Bible, like in First, uh, First Thessalonians four eighteen, and you know this is when Jesus says, "I'm coming to bring and gather all those who are mine, who are believers, who are sealed with the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption, which I believe is the rapture, and He's going to call us up and take us to be with Him, like it says in John fourteen. You know, I go to prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you may be also. And so I, I believe that this is what the is spoken of in the in the Bible. This is the rapture, and this I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. So I believe that the rapture is going to be occurring before the tribulation period. And so this this um, 
in Scripture, you know, Titus 2.13, this is a blessed hope mm -hmm. for the believer. And so it, it's sad to me to see that something that where we're told, you know, therefore comfort one another with these words in Scripture. And, this and yet is it the, seems to be stressing people out. It's stressing yeah. people Why out. Why is that? And we've seen even, I think it was CNN did an article on, on you know, rapture fatigue or whatever. I think that a lot of it goes back to, it's very similar to the, the, the days when Jesus was here, the first time that you had the Pharisees who were very much looking at the law and it was very bondage and Jesus came with this message of grace and faith and, and we know by scripture that we are saved by grace through faith, not of our works as it says in Ephesians. And so um, this, is, this is something that's really important to understand that we, when we are saved, the Bible says, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption. And all those who are his, whether you're dead in Christ or alive, will be taken in the rapture. But there's this message out there again of this law and this bondage of saying, well, unless you are performing at a certain level or unless your eschatology is correct. Or even anticipating it. Yes, so you're looking and you're watching for the rapture. If you're not looking and watching, then you're not going. Or if you're mm. not performing to a certain level. And the funny thing is, almost every time, the ones who are saying this, that you have to be performing to a certain level, they always believe that they are meeting that bar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's so true. true. But yeah. you might not be. And Wait. so the, I, I'm, I'm concerned about that. You know, the thing about it is all of us are saved not on basis of our works. And right. even as we are saved for good works, we fall short every day. Yeah. Paul said, oh, what a wretched man am I? Not what a wretched man I was, right. but he knew in his own nature he would tend to stray. I mean, one of my favorite hymns is prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. I mean, prone to leave the Lord I love. And so if I'm relying upon my own faithfulness, even as Scripture calls me to aspire to faithfulness, then I'm hopeless. Yeah. My, my hope is not in my faithfulness or, or my own understanding. My hope is in Christ and His faithfulness because He is always faithful. So it's just, it's tragic to me. I, I gotta tell you, uh, one of the, the worst jokes I ever saw played on a dear family member of mine was when her siblings decided that they would hide oh and convince <laughs> my wife and I to do the same so that one of my daughters would come home and nobody was there and she thought she had been left behind. And it was traumatic oh, wow. for her for just a few mm -hmm. seconds until we realized, oh my goodness, she doesn't realize this is just playing sure. hide and seek. And we had to come out and comfort her because wow. yeah. it, no, she will not be left behind. She has put her trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm absolutely confident, more so even than I am sitting here talking to you, mm -hmm. I have no doubt that Jesus will be true to his word. Amen. And so right now, what, what I see happening, I think a lot because of my YouTube channel, I get messages from people all over the world and it's being trying to be, people are trying to turn it from the blessed hope to this great anxiety. Mm. And they're saying, yes, it's coming soon, but uh, you may not be ready for it and you may not get to go because you may not be performing well enough. Well, then what do you tell them? What is the Bible's argument so, that it's not just some Christians that get raptured, but all who are saved who are raptured? Right. Well, again, going back to Ephesians, it says that we are saved by grace through faith. And I believe that salvation is a package deal. So the, the Bible says that whether you're dead in Christ or uh, those who are alive and remain at his coming, we will all be caught up together to meet him in the air. And the, the, the thing that makes you worthy is the blood of the lamb. Yes. And the scripture is very clear on that. We, we trust and we put our faith in the blood of the lamb. We are covered in, in his righteousness, it's not us. And so if, if he knows you, if you are his, if you're covered in the blood of the lamb, whether you're dead or alive, 
when the moment of the rapture comes, you will be going. Well, John captured this and John, we all think about John 3.16, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's an either or. And at the very end of that same chapter, he says, he who believes, women as well, he, she who believes in the Son has eternal life. That's it. If you believe in the Son, you have eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so to go back to your, your expression of people's concern, well, do I do enough to obey? The obeying is in the believing. Yes. That mm -hmm. is where we Perfect. obey yeah. in terms of trusting the, the Word of God, the testimony of God, that the mechanism of our salvation is the blood of Jesus Christ. So when we put our faith in Him, we are now sealed and we are delivered to eternal life. So it's an either the wrath of God abides on you or you have eternal life. And, right. and that is our blessed hope. Yes, and, and that's what I feel like is so important to understand that salvation is not a merit-based thing. It's, it's a uh, belief thing in, in Christ. And the rapture is the very same. The rapture is not a merit-based, performance-based thing. It's a belief-based thing. It's a, it's a faith-based thing. And if you take the Bride of Christ analogy to its full extent, when I married my wife, I didn't marry half of her, the part that was anticipating the marriage, and the other half yeah. had to stay behind and endure tribulation until it purified her to make her righteous, which is the argument for the partial rapturists, that they have to go through a tribulation time to purify themselves. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all unrighteousness, but he's going to take the entire bride. You can't leave parts behind. Mm -hmm. And he said on the cross, it is finished. Yes. You know, so that we don't need to earn any more of our salvation or be somehow purify our, our, ourselves more. The blood of Christ is the only thing that can do that. Excellent. So, so there is an element to where we do encourage people to be looking for our blessed hope. In other words, there's a promise of blessing just in the anticipation. Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He says, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So we can get a crown as it describes of righteousness just for longing for, for anticipating his coming. But even that crown is not something that that, that I deserve in and of myself, it is given, it's credited to me mm -hmm. by God. And even as I receive it, what am I gonna do with the crown? You know, am I gonna have a, an eternal neck ache wearing this giant crown? No, I'm gonna cast it back at his feet just as an act of worship for he who has even credited me with a crown. So it, it all points back to Jesus Christ. Many pastors today hesitate to teach Bible prophecy. That reluctance does not apply to Jesse Randolph, the pastor of Indian Hills Community Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We were blessed to first meet him at the pre-trib conference last year and greatly encouraged by his enthusiasm. Jesse recognizes the benefit of studying God's prophetic word for the spiritual health of a church. Nathan and I would love to see you at the pre-trib conference in Dallas this December. For now, let's conclude with Jesse's response to the following question. How do churches benefit from pastors teaching Bible prophecy? This is the first one, and I've been to 15 of them, where we have far more pastors. Mm -hmm. And that's really encouraging to us because yes. as our ministry, Lamb and Lion Ministries, we partner with churches where they might feel like they're not strong on eschatology and the teaching of Bible prophecy. We come along and we go to conference and speak and they use our materials. But to have pastors come here firsthand and then bring it back to teach. Yes. I, I grew up in churches that love Bible prophecy, Joe Foch, Calvary Chapel, and other churches that always taught it. Why do you, uh, interested one, to come to a Bible prophecy? conference and two I assume you're gonna bring it back to teach your church right absolutely I mean I, I just to be candid
expanded. I mean, I've been a part of churches in the past where we would say we're strong on Bible, you know, verse by verse exposition, and, and, and really strong on a lot of the different doctrines that the Bible teaches. But eschatology, end times in general, tends to be kind of put on the, on, on the you know, the, the end of the library or the, uh, the end of the teaching rotation, or it's just the, the, the last thing, no pun intended, that we <laughs> yeah. teach um, and, it, and other things get minimized, or, or at least that doctrine gets minimized and all of its different complexities. So, you know, I, I w I've been part of churches that have been faithful in so many areas, but I think probably because of fear more than anything. Okay. Uh, pastors have been a little reticent to get into some of the, the, the details about all that the Lord has revealed to us about what will come in the end. Um, and that includes everything from the, the, the millennial reign of Christ uh, to the timing of the tribulation to the, the new heavens and the new earth. It, it just becomes kind of this murky mess. And we know from UFR's Thessalonians yes. open right there that it's a great source of comfort to know that the Lord is going to come for his church and take us to be with him and rapture us. But but some of the mechanics of what that looks like and some of the, the order and the sequence of how God has meticulously laid everything out in his end times program is kind of left left out of the equation. So my goal in being here is to both encourage the faithful members of my church that have been coming here for years, but also to, to your point, to take it back and teach it faithfully. Well, I think it's very encouraging to both of us to see you and others like you here, because again, there is a fear. Uh, some pastors have seen the fanaticism, the, the extreme uh, speculation and sensationalism that sometimes is associated with Bible prophecy. That's not where we go at Lamb and Lion Ministries. We stay grounded in the Word of God. We say, test everything we say against Scripture, just like Paul did with the Bereans. And so I also submit, and I've told some of my own pastors, yeah, I know you're going to get around to it someday, but when? Because you, you mentioned Thessalonians. When Paul planted a church in Thessalonica, we think he was there for a matter of weeks, and he was already telling them, Jesus is coming again, which is why they wrote him and he responded in the letters we have. So this was not something that we'll eventually get to and, you know, advanced uh, doctrines of the faith. No, this was part of the gospel message. And so we don't want it to be on the, the high shelf nobody can reach. We want people motivated, A, toward holy living, toward urgent evangelism and keeping their eyes on Christ. And boy, that's that's a, a message that resonates and should with any church, I if would If that's not practical and pastoral, I don't know what is. You're very good, <laughs> right? yes sir. Well, so tell us a little bit more, Jesse, about uh, what message in particular about the rapture uh, eschatology, because we could get into the weeds and we don't want to be divisive, even those that would disagree. But what really resonates in your heart? Yeah, just the, the, the motivation to be always prepared, the motivation to, to live holy lives in Christ Jesus, as we're called to do and told to do in many places in the scriptures, to, to be on the alert, to be watchful. Mm. Um, right. Those are I, I always when I come to the scriptures, I, in fact, I preached Sunday night a message where I just did a little kind of sidebar in the middle the sermon and mentioned the clarity of scripture. I mean, praise God that we're, that God has given us his word, but that he used men as they would write out the scripture directed by the Holy Spirit to write with such clarity. You know, I'm preaching to the book of James is one of the, the, the texts I'm in these days at our church. And I just said, praise God that he gave us a guy like James to write with such clarity. You can't read James and, and walk away like, well, I'm not sure what he's saying. He was such a plain spoken individual and, and given the spirit, of course, to, to, to inspire his words. 
but that's that's one thing is the 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 words that we have about the rapture the words that we have about the tribulation that that the church will not go through the words that we have about the marriage supper of the lamb that we just heard about uh, presented at this conference there there's such clarity there and if you read the scriptures sequentially and if you read them submitted to the spirit you're going to see what it reveals and then that's going to lead to the kind of holy living that we're called to live on in this life on this earth in these bodies in this flesh that we're still in uh, as we prepare for the blessed hope mm.